has been a week of silverware, sackings, and some crazy travel stories in La Liga Santander. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to La Liga Show. And ahead on this week's episode, we will look at this year's Ballon d'Or winner, what's next for Athletic Bilbao, and a look at some very intriguing derby games being played on Spanish soil this weekend. To do all that, he's a show regular at this point. Uh, welcome back, Carlos Verdi. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mitchell. Always fun to uh, to hop on and, and talk a little bit of uh, Spanish soccer. Obviously, a lot has happened in the last four or five days overseas in Spain, and and uh, always happy to dive into it with you. Well, yeah, let's start with uh, start with that silverware I mentioned off the top, or I guess uh, goldware if you want to go the direct translation. But uh, uh, for the tenth year in a row, a La Liga player has won the Ballon d'Or. This time, it's Luka Modric. Uh, after breaking kind of that incredibly long streak uh, of Messi and Ronaldo, um, you know, going going, you know, trophy for trophy, um, you know, what did you what did you make of this decision? Obviously, Modric certainly had an excellent season for both club and country. Won the Champions League, um, was was a runner up of the World Cup, and and was a big reason why uh, his Croatian side got to that World Cup final. Uh, is is you know an incredible underdog run for them. Um, it, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's it's reasonably deserving, but there certainly uh, has been a bit of an uproar over some other candidates as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Mitchell. I mean, the first thing that needs to to be mentioned is that there were 13 different players that received first place votes this year. I mean, <laughs> that just goes to show you the year it was in 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 football around the globe, but especially uh, in those cha- with those Champions League caliber knockout round caliber players. So many players had fantastic seasons. I mean, you had. Even guys like Thibaut Courtois, the keeper, and, and of course Harry Kane, the striker for Spurs, all of them picking up first place votes from somewhere in the Ballon d'Or voting. So, you know, it's interesting regarding Lionel Messi because I think a lot of people thought that uh, he was, let's say, robbed of the Ballon d'Or this year. I read a, I read a really interesting uh, biting opinion piece in Marca just yesterday saying that, you know, the Ballon d'Or has very little credibility if Messi finished fifth. And and the thing that I would argue to that is, you know, granted he was phenomenal in La Liga last year, but let's not forget it was a World Cup year and players mm-hmm. more often than not are remembered for what they do in Champions League finals and and knockout round World Cup games. And that is where Luka Modric separated himself this year. The World Cup is still the game's biggest stage. And Modric's legendary performance for Croatia in that magical run won't be forgotten anytime soon. And I certainly think uh, he showed enough in that run. And of course, last season in the in the run of the Champions League, in which he was critical with Real Madrid, uh, certainly showed more than enough to be a deserving Ballon d'Or winner. And and quite frankly, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about legacies too, Lionel Messi simply has never gotten it done at the international level for Argentina mm-hmm. when it mattered most. And And I think... You could you could extrapolate this kind of conversation about how much how heavily do you weigh uh, the World Cup international performances against you know club performances because obviously Messi was instrumental in Barcelona's success last year I think he was uh, in on three quarters of their goals in La Liga last season uh, but you know quite frankly I'm totally okay with Luka Modric winning the Ballon d'Or simply because he was so good. Uh, for Croatia in that run in the World Cup. You mentioned Marca. 
uh, kind of being up in arms about uh, Lionel Messi finishing fifth. They also had had another article kind of listing all of the recent accomplishments by La Liga, both, uh, you know, titles won by teams and trophies won by players. And it's pretty impressive. I mean, aside from the the 10 straight Ballon d'Ors, um, you know, they've obviously been very dominant uh, at both the Europa League and Champions League level. Um, they won the last four Club World Cups as well and the last 10 European Golden Shoes, which is incredibly impressive as well. It's it's just pretty incredible how much silverware this league and and its teams have been able to pick up of late. And another, you know, it's <laughs> with... With kind of the renewed parity in La Liga, there's been a lot of debate, uh, you know, raging about whether now it's kind of surpassed as the top league in the world. But at, at the very least, this gives the, the league continued credibility uh, in terms of the global stage. Well, I think the first thing that I would point out, too, is that amongst people who know the game, who work in the game, uh, La Liga is still world-renowned for its quality. And I think most people would tell you that in terms of the top of the leagues, it doesn't get any better than La Liga. You know, you look mm-hmm. at the one through seven in La Liga, one through six, from a technical standpoint, I still believe it's the best league in the world. The English Premier League is the best, is probably the best marketed league in the world, but the, there's no doubt. I mean, just look at the Champions League results from the past decade, especially from the past five, six, seven years, and it's obvious that, you know, this is... This is a league which features the best clubs in the world, bar none. And uh, and again, not surprised to see the individual titles and whatnot and accolades uh, showing that on the global stage. Well, Luka Modric's uh, club as well picked up a, a pretty big win over the weekend, 2-0 uh, against a Valencia side that's at least been a little bit more resurgent recently with with picking up a couple of results after uh, a tough start to the season. Um, you know, Real looked pretty full value for that win, especially in the first half. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've mentioned this on the show last week, but I think this is a pretty important win for them just because it kicks off a stretch where until January 20th they'd only play one side uh, who are in La Liga's top 10 and that's Real Sociedad who are are currently 10th in in La Liga so you know just being five points off the top at the moment this for me is really their opportunity um, to to kind of claw some of those points back and and finally start winning some of the games that you'd be expected to win. I mean, obviously, uh, two weekends ago they they lost, uh, they got you know pretty trounced by Ibar in, in a match that could have been a lot worse. Uh, but this is kind of an opportunity for them to to take a season that's been pretty horrible so far and, and make something of it because um, they're going to have a tough second half, but r- right now what they need is consistency and confidence, and this is a stretch that really gives that, uh, kind of lays that out for them, uh, that opportunity. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it, and, and just going back to the 2-0 victory over Valencia in the weekend, uh, mm-hmm. personally, I think that game kind of was a microcosm of Valencia's season where... You know, they showed some fight, they showed some metal. It's, they certainly were not lacking in effort, the visitors. Uh, I thought they had a good response after the Wasson goal inside the first 10 minutes. And, you know, if you looked at some of the chances, even just in the highlight pack, uh, specifically the Coquelin miss in the second half, could have been a very different outcome. Uh, you know, a 2-0 on paper looks real good for Real, but it was far from a, a sure victory, a, a convincing victory for Real. Uh, and I think, like you said, they'll be hoping to build some momentum off that. But uh, it, it still, I'm not seeing that 
90-minute dominant performance from Real Madrid. And, and you look at the schedule that's coming up in front of them, rest of, this, rest of their month of December. I mean, you've got the, the sitter against Melilla in the, in the Copa del Rey coming up. You got a trip to Huesca, who's dead last. You're hosting CSK Moscow, who is coming off a home defeat against what looked to be the worst team in the entire Champions League group stage in the last match day. And then you're hosting Rayo, who are in 19th. So, you know, you look at that stretch of games, Huesca can't score, they can't keep the ball out of their own goal, and they look like a side that is a Segunda team right now. Uh, That has to be a decisive win on home turf for Solari's side, no doubt about it. CSK is suddenly in a dogfight because of their aforementioned loss against Pilsen, so they'll be motivated, but again, that's a team that Real should be hammering. And then that third match coming up, Rayo Vallecano, it's always a charged atmosphere with the Derby, especially based on the the vastly different club cultures that exist between kind of the the bougie uh, Real Madrid support versus Rayo, which is a, a, a political entity uh, in the Vallecas community. So that's it's going to be an entertaining couple of games, but if Real really are turning a corner here under Solari, uh, those have to be three wins, point blank, end of story. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, one of those games will, will be tomorrow, the round of 32 game in the Copa del Rey, which is being played this week. And uh, there hasn't been a lot to write home about it so far as the uh, the results so far in the Copa del Rey. But one story that definitely caught my attention this week was that club you mentioned they're playing, Malia, who uh, are, are making an 11-hour journey to come play uh, Real at the Bernabeu. Uh, they are down 4-0 on aggregate, but, um, you know, they if, well, first off, they have to take a 7-hour ferry ride. Uh, then they have to go by bus to the airport where they'll fly to Madrid. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty incredible commitment to, to go play a match, although, to be fair, I think I might make a, an 11-hour journey if I got to play Real Madrid, but uh, just a pretty incredible story for, for you know, a smaller club and uh taking this opportunity to play probably one of the biggest well you know could be the biggest club in the world but at at least in that top conversation yeah and i think it's this is the story that you yearn for when it comes to cup play Uh, anytime there's you know an an out of league matchup whether it's you know champions league playoffs europa league playoffs qualification playoffs that is and of course domestic cups Melia is an interesting story because you know it's it's kind of crazy. I was looking at their club history and and my my friend uh, my friend Manuel Gallardo is the is the communications manager at San Fernando and they are in the same division. They're in that third tier, the Segunda B Grupo Cuatro, the fourth group in the in the second or third division in Spain. So he mm-hmm. knows the, he knows Melia quite well and and he said he's like he's just they are a club that kind of epitomizes that. They call it football modesto in Spain, right? And 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 you know that means modest football, direct translation, humble football. And you know, it, it, Melia's been in Segunda B for thirty years. Uh, remarkable stability for that level, but also a club that has never really uh, aspired to a higher level. The last number of years, they've kind of finished in that third to sixth edge of the playoffs type of deal. This year, they're 11-3-1. They've lost just one match in their first 15 in mm. the Segunda B Grupo Cuatro. So this is already a historic season for Melilla, and this trip is just going to be, you know, a cherry on top of what's been a phenomenal start for a club that hasn't really had a lot of 
success in terms of being atop the table and really making that push uh, for for a serious promotion bid to Segunda. One player to keep an eye on, and I'm not saying they're going to go out on a, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're going to score a goal or anything like that at the Bernabeu, but a player to keep an eye on is Yassine Kazmi. Uh, he's a French-born Moroccan striker. He spent a decade in PSG's youth system, and he's leading the Segunda B Grupo Cuatro in scoring. He's got seven goals already this season. He played up top in the 4-0 defeat in Melilla in the first leg, and if there somehow, some way, is going to be a, a, a miracle goal, or or better yet, a miracle result for Melia at the Bernabeu, mm. um, it's going to come through Cosme. So, great club, you know, just uh, the football modesto is the thing that I kind of ram home here. This is a club that is very much entrenched in that third-tier southern division in Spain, and boy, it's going to be really exciting, not just for them, but for all the other clubs they play against and all the other clubs in the third tier in Spain because this is what's at stake for them in those early rounds of the Copa del Rey. That trip or hosting, of course, is also a, a big thrill for these clubs, but the opportunity to go play at a at a football cathedral like a Camp Nou, like a Mestalla, like a, like a Santiago Bernabeu. So, you know, I, I'm really excited to see Melia under the lights. It's going uh, to be quite an experience after quite a long journey for them. It's not going to happen, but holy smokes, I'd love to see what would happen to Real if they <laughs> suffered a comeback loss from Malia in, in the Copa del Rey. That would just be <laughs> hilarious. But um, from one club that's, uh, as you mentioned, um, doing very well to start their season in Malia to another club who have had just a disastrous start to their season in Athletic Bilbao. They've just picked up one win um, so far in La Liga, and that's resulted in the sacking of their coach, Eduardo Barizo, after just eight months in charge. Uh, they're three points into the relegation zone as well, which is not a good look for a club that definitely has higher aspirations than uh, just fighting off the relegation zone. So, um, you know, I, same with the Lopetegui uh, sacking earlier in the season. This one uh, doesn't come as much of a surprise considering uh, just how things have gone for Athletic this year. Well, it's just been a, a nightmare campaign for Bilbao and, and, and kind of similar to another one of those sort of traditional UEFA Cup, Europa League, whatever you want to call that competition. Uh, similar to Valencia, another team that often is knocking on the door in Europe, they just simply have not been able to, to score. And that and that's been mm. that's been an issue for Bilbao is, you know, they've scored 14 and 14, which in La Liga simply isn't going to do it especially when you're giving up, you know, 23 goals in those 14 matches. And the thing that's caught both Valencia and Bilbao up this year is an inability to turn draws into victories. Valencia, eight draws in 14 matches. Bilbao, eight draws in 14 matches. If they had managed to pull out even just one or two of those draws and, and turn them into victories, you know, I, I think we're having a very different conversation, and I think Berisso's probably still employed... Uh, that said, the 3-0 defeat against Levante, simply not acceptable for Bilbao. And, and, and it's incredible because this is a team that won a domestic trophy not that long ago and has a proud history of being, you know, at worst, uh, a mid-table team in La Liga over the last, you know, six, seven years. And, and all of a sudden, it's just the wheels have come off. You know, Gaisca Garitano is in now. Uh, it's 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 a hire that makes sense. You know, he's he's a local guy, played 
you know, played there. Well, didn't play for Athletic Bilbao proper. He bounced around, spent a ton of time at Ibar, and and has had has held a couple of managerial posts, all of which in the north of the country between Coruña, uh, Bilbao Athletic, of course, the B team, and 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 Ibar. So, you know, he fits the bill in terms of that Basque identity. Uh, whether or not he's ready to really pull this club out of the muck, I mean, right now they're literally in a relegation spot, which is mm-hmm. unthinkable. Uh, given some of the teams that are above them. I mean, you look at Ibar is seven clear. Leganes is is five clear. Valladolid six clear. Uh, this is a Bilbao club that, you know, especially given how great their stadium is and 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 what a what a cultural icon they are in that community in, in Pais Vasco, it's you know, they're they're in a world of, of pain right now and, 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 and it it kinda hurts to see because they're they're one of those clubs that has a strong identity, you know, a strong connection with their fans. And, boy, you, you really hate to see that, uh, a club like that being mired in a relegation race when, you know, I, I certainly don't think that was the expectation for them this year. Yeah, you mentioned not being able to to turn draws into wins. Well, 13 points dropped from winning positions this year for Bilbao. That's got to hurt a lot, especially when you look at what those points could do in, in some incredibly tight La Liga table. Uh, they, they could be much further up the table. And, you know, you look at a match like like their game against Atletico Madrid and how differently things could have gone if they had been able to hold on and, and get a result or even a win uh, there. So there's an, an example of the fact that there is some talent there for Garitano to work with. Um, but, you know, he, he clearly has to turn something around quickly here if, if you know, they're going to get back into at least that mid-table of, of La Liga. Yeah, I mean, you look at the schedule that they've got coming up the rest of December. They've got Huesca in, in essentially a meaningless game tomorrow. They're already up 4-0 on aggregate. But then you look, they've got Girona at home, they've got Alaves away, and they've got Valladolid at home between now and Christmas. Uh, those are three matches. I think they're going to see all three as winnable. Now, granted, Alaves is still in the middle of a dream season, but this is a Bilbao side that I don't think the squad... The squad's caliber is really reflected uh, in in that 18th place position in the La Liga table. That I'm I'm looking especially at that Valladolid match on December 22nd. Right now they're separated by six points. You know, depending on the results in the two games between now and then, that gap could be closed. That gap could also be widened depending on mm-hmm. how Garitano's first couple of matches go with Bilbao. But I, I mean, boy oh boy, that that could be a really big match even looking back uh come april may when we're when we're down to the neck down the final stretch uh in the relegation race because right now uh Valladolid and bilbao two of the teams that i think would probably still be tipped uh to be in, involved in that race uh come you know three four months down the line so keep an eye on that one december 22nd and of course uh bilbao need results and they need them quickly we've talked about this all season, how struggles for clubs like Bilbao have opened the door for other clubs to to move further up the table. And one of those teams who's been on an excellent run of form lately has been Girona. Uh, you know, it's they they obviously won today uh, over Alaves in in the Copa del Rey, but uh, more importantly was their their one one draw with Atletico at the weekend, and uh, almost a little unlucky not to to get a better result in that one, suffering an own goal in the eighty second minute that you know 
snuffed out what could have been a historic result for them. Uh, but they've lost just once since October. Wins over Espanyol and Valencia in that time. Um, and the draw with Barcelona earlier in the year. Some very good results for them. And, you know, pushing at the moment for one of those European qualifier spots, which is uh, pretty incredible for a club just in their second ever season in the top division. Now, uh, before we go, you know, before we go too glowingly into the um, underdog story, I mean, this is a club that does have ties to to the city football group in Manchester City. So there is money coming in and we've seen uh, a number of players from Manchester City loaned in. But nonetheless, for a club that spent uh, most of its years between the fourth and second division in Spain, um, this is an incredible accomplishment. They they certainly look to be safe at this point, and uh, after a tenth place finish last year, they might even be able to improve on that this year. Yeah, and 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 let me just say right off the hop, there are some classic La Liga journeymen on this squad. I mean, <laughs> you know, you look at the likes of of a guy like uh, well, Alex Grinnell has been there a long time, the captain, but Christian Stuani, you know, from what he did at Espanyol. Uh, previous stints with Albacete and Levante before that on loan from Regina. You know, Stuani's in the middle of an incredible season at Girona. The results that they're pulling out, you know, 3-1 win at an Espanyol side that at the time was, you know, right up in the top five, top six in La Liga. Uh, the results have been, you know, nothing nothing short of of incredible. And, and, and you love to see it, you know, quality result at home to advance in the Copa today against Alaves. And again, you talk about that stretch between now and Christmas. They've got a trip to Bilbao, which is always daunting, of course, at San Mames, but that's that's a match that they could very well win. Then they've got a very difficult test to the Sanchez-Pijuan Stadium to face Sevilla, and then finally Hitafe at home on the 21st. They're in a very good run of form. Stuani's form does not seem to be dipping up front. They've lost just once since early October, Mitchell, and they've surrendered just two goals in their last four matches. So this is a a squad that under Eusebio has been uh, very disciplined defensively, and 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 they're very clinical up front. You know, when when teams make mistakes, they burn them, and so it's it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, down the stretch, they really don't have any big boys ahead of them on the schedule till Barcelona on January twenty seventh. They've got away trips to Sevilla and Betis, but a ton of winnable matches in there as well. You look at Bilbao, you look at home against Etafe, home against Alaves. I mean, this is a Girona team that if they can maintain this level of form, I honestly think they might still be an outside shot, uh, you know, a dark horse, if you will, to even push for Europe. And of course, they're a smaller club, but don't uh, don't count out the men from Montelivi, despite the size of their stadium and their and their club's history. Don't uh, don't count them out just yet. I think I think there's a lot more in store this season for Eusebio's group. Sounds like the Vegas Golden Knights of uh, La Liga in terms of having a, a bunch of journeyman options. But uh, yeah, of course, Christian Stuani, as you mentioned, uh, 11 goals so far this season. He's top of the the scoring race he's scoring a goal every 85 minutes this season which is just unbelievable um and you know he continues to be a talisman for Girona and just a reminder of you know you guys like Yago Aspas um just how important it is to have a player like that that um can really break open a game and be a difference maker for mid-table clubs because uh you know it is so close this year so having a guy like Stuani is just uh it's everything Girona needs right now to to be able to continue to push up the table. Absolutely. And and again, I just want to shout out a couple of classic uh, Spanish soccer 
guys here that are on the squad. I mean, you got Porto <laughs> midfielder. Pere Pons is another classic who's been at the club since 2012. Uh, they've got Gorka Irasos in net, who, of course, uh, the legend, 11 seasons at Athletic Bilbao, said goodbye at the end of last season. That was that was a bit of a controversial decision, but he's landed there, and, and, uh, and you know, just you love to see uh, some of these names. Sedu Dumbia. Dumbia. I a mean, legend. that's fantastic. A FIFA legend. And, and uh, you know, a lot of great names with that Girona side and, and excited to see what happens going forward. Well, there is uh, there's a couple of big derby matches being played on Spanish soil uh, this week. I mentioned off the top and... Um, potentially probably the biggest match in Spain this weekend doesn't even involve Spanish sides, and that's the, the second leg of the Copa Libertadores between uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate. Um, the original leg was at, or second leg was actually scheduled for uh, November 24th, but uh, as has been well documented now, uh, that match uh, had to be uh, delayed because uh, of projectiles thrown at the Boca Juniors bus. There was tear gas. Uh, the Boca captain, Pablo Perez, got glass in his eye. And uh, there was other issues with with tear gas and, and you know, the, the results that that had on the players. They initially just tried to postpone the game for a couple of hours, which is literally insane. Uh, the handling of this whole situation has been pretty, pretty incredible. But uh, now for safety reasons, it's being played at the Bernabeu in Spain. Um, definitely a diff- interesting decision to host it at the Bernabeu and kind of interesting considering a, a cup that's kind of, um, you know, historically uh, about Spanish li- or liberation from Spain is being hosted in the Spanish capital. Um, some funny, uh, I guess, symbolism there, but uh, definitely going to be a very interesting match to watch. And I-, I think potentially one of the one of the games of the year here, considering, um, you know, the rivalry and and kind of the story going into it. Absolutely. I mean, these are these are this is a classic rivalry, probably the best one in South America, and and I think you could make the argument it's certainly one of the most passionate in the world. Period. The decision to move it to Spain, I I don't like it. Um, I don't think anybody affiliated with either team really likes it. Uh, I saw the River Plate boss Marcelo there was ripping ripping into it. Uh, the decision and the headlines, and of course. Uh, Messi has confirmed he'll be there, and Cristiano Ronaldo has yet to confirm, according to a report from AS earlier today. But more importantly, I mean, this is a continental championship, and to take it off the continent sets a very, <laughs> very dangerous standard, I find, for, for those global elite football matches, because who's to say the Champions League final might not be played in Los Angeles or Tokyo or Beijing after mm-hmm. this, right? And And... And so that I think scares me, and I think I think it scares a lot of lot of footy fans. Uh, but in terms of the spectacle itself, you know the Bernabeu is going to be packed. You know it's going to be absolutely rocking. You know that there's going to be fans of both those sides that have relocated to Spain, either long term or short term, or will be making the trek uh, trip of a lifetime to try and watch this match mm-hmm. in Madrid. It's going to be crazy, but it's not going to be the same spectacle it would have been had it been played uh, in Argentina, of course. And 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 I don't like the move. I think it sets a bad precedent. Uh, but it is also, you know, it's it's classic South American soccer. It's disorganized. It's chaos. It's <laughs> it's a decision that you maybe don't fully understand how or why or or even you know 
the method in which we somehow got to the decision that okay, Argentina's too uh, Argentina's too quick chaotic right now. Let's move six thousand miles away for the second leg of our final. It's a crazy decision. I don't like it, but it will be a fantastic spectacle, and I'll be watching nonetheless. Yeah, it was one of the first times I've ever thought CONCACAF looked competent for, for a couple of seconds. But um, let, let's move on to our final segment, that being the La Liga game of the week. We both have picks. Um, I've I've selected Valencia Sevilla this week. Uh, you know, Pablo Machin's side uh, had an opportunity to, to continue to stay top, but drew 1-1 with LFS this weekend while Valencia, uh, they lost 2-0 to Real Madrid. So uh, both sides looking, uh, you know, pretty hungry going into this game. Um, this is one of those games for me that's kind of a measuring stick uh, for Sevilla in, in their title race because um, this is a team they, they'll be expected to beat, but also a very tricky side. I mean, Valencia's looked a little bit better lately um, and they've been you know obviously the results against Real aside they've been moving up the table a little bit so this is a, a chance for them as well to to really prove themselves against one of the top teams in La Liga this year and this is an opportunity you know for for any of those clubs kind of hovering around the the top with with the big three struggling with uh, you know Madrid uh, with both Madrid's having poor seasons and Barca even not fully looking themselves, uh, if Sevilla can just stay on course and continue to pick up points, um, for sure they can get into Europe, but uh, they could even have title hopes. I mean, that, that shouldn't be out of the consideration right now for them. So uh, anytime Sevilla is playing this season in La Liga, um, especially right now, it's it's definitely an interesting watch. But uh, Carlos, why don't you fill us in on what's really the true uh, match of the week? Uh, because uh, I think this is one that the fans of both teams will have had circled on their calendar for some time, considering um, how both of these clubs have progressed this season. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's the Battle of Barcelona. It's Espanyol hosting Barcelona on the on uh, on the mountain, and and boy, this is this is a battle of of two squads that I I think I think I would say are are trending in different directions. I think that's fair to say. Barcelona top right now, a point ahead of Sevilla, two point three points ahead of Atlético de Madrid, and Espanyol a side that began the season looking like a top five team right in that conversation with Alaves the last time we spoke, which I believe was late October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, you look at their run of results since then, and it just hasn't been pretty Mitchell. Defeat in Sevilla, 3-1 defeat at home against Girona, and then most recently in the league last Saturday, uh, getting pumped 3-0 by Hetafe. Simply not the results that we've come to expect this season. And then, of course, they uh, they go out in the Copa del Rey round of 32, could only beat second to Segunda team uh, Cadiz 1-0 at home. So this is an Espanol team that needs to really dig their dig their feet into the sand and, and, and dig in because after this Barcelona match, it doesn't really get much easier for them. They've got Betis coming in the weekend after and then an away trip to Atlético de Madrid. They're going to go to the Wanda Metropolitano on the 22nd and boy, oh boy, I mean, it's, it's a tough three-game stretch for Espanol and, and given... What we've seen in the run-up to this, you know, being bounced by Cavies, losing to Girona and Hitafe, oh boy, it's it's tough to see them getting a result. But then again, it's a derby. We know it's going to be bonkers. Again, two sets of supporters that view themselves very differently. Uh, Espanyol, of course, the team of the Royals, and Barcelona, more the team of the 
uh, well, you know, Catalan pride and all that. And, and it's going to be very, very interesting uh, to see the supporters clash as well as the teams come Saturday. I'm going to predict a Barcelona victory just based on recent form, but uh, certainly hope Espanyol can turn things around because when when the city of Barcelona has two sides uh, pushing for Europe, La Liga, in my opinion at least, is a better place. Yeah, for sure. As much as this is going to be a tough stretch for Espanyol, if there was ever a time to to kind of turn around and create further chaos in La Liga. It's it's this stretch right now. So um, yeah, that'll be a great wa- match to watch this weekend. And uh, we'll, we'll wrap things up there, though. Uh, thanks again for joining the show, Carlos. Uh, always a great chat. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mitchell. And uh, look forward to more La Liga soccer this weekend. Yeah, and uh, if, if our games of the week... Uh, you know, are, are done any justice. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week on the show, but until then, thanks for listening.